1: You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Wednesday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, the episode each week, or in this week's case, the second episode this week, where you take control of the discussion by sending in bills, questions, comments, concerns, takes, whatever you have, and I respond to them here on the podcast. We're doing it twice this week because we didn't do it last week, and I had a bunch in the back burner that I needed to get to, so let's do it. First one today comes from Nigel. Nigel says, you've talked a lot about the comparable athletic profiles between Dawson Knox and the elite tight ends in the league, such as Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Darren Waller. When I watch these guys play, it seems to me that Dawson is a significant step below them in terms of size and athleticism, but that could be scheme related. Could you perhaps talk a bit more about comparable combine numbers or stats that the other tight ends I mentioned had in the first few years of their career? You've opened my eyes to the fact that tight end is a slower developing position, so I'm optimistic, and I'm certainly not ready to write him off, but up to this point, I just don't see the comparison. So let's talk about the physical comparison in terms of size and athleticism, and we will keep it to Dawson Knox, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, and Darren Waller. So in terms of height, Dawson Knox is 6'4", and 3'8", George Kittle is 6'4", Travis Kelsey is 6'4 and 7 eighths, and Darren Waller is 6'6 six, six and an eighth. When it comes to weight, Dawson Knox is 254, Kittle is 247, Kelsey 255, and Darren Waller is 255 now. But for the rest of the testing numbers that I'm going to get to, he was 238 and a wide receiver coming out of Georgia Tech. So he converted to tight end and added you know, roughly 20 pounds. So his athletic testing is not really indicative of the player he is now because he's 20 pounds more and surely that has come at the expense of at least some athleticism when it comes to wingspan dawson knox 80 and a half inches george kittle 78 and a half inches travis kelsey 80 inches and darren waller 80 and a half inches so dawson knox at 6'4 and three eighths has the same wingspan as darren waller who is over 6'6 40 yard dash knox 459 kittle 452, Kelsey, 461, and then Waller, 446. But remember, that was at 238. He's 255 now. Vertical jump, Knox, 34 and inches. Kittle, 35 inches. Kelsey, 35 inches. Waller, 37 inches. Broad jump, Dawson Knox, 10 foot 2, George Kittle, 11 feet. Travis Kelsey, 10 foot 4, Darren Waller, 10 foot 5. Three cone, Dawson Knox, 712, Kittle, 7, Kelsey, 709, Waller, 707. And the short shuttle drill, Knox, 427, George Kittle, 477, Travis Kelsey, 442, and Darren Waller, 425. From an athletic perspective, Dawson Knox is every bit the athlete that all of those other guys are Kittle, Kelsey, Waller. There's nothing that is drastically different about the measured athleticism of any of those football players. Dawson Knox is right there with them in every single category. So when I talk about physical gifts and how he has them, he does. He's got, he's got every bit of athleticism you could ever want in a tight end to be a dynamic performer. Now, when it comes to production, Knox does not compare well to Kittle – Or Kelsey. I mean, those guys had been playing tight end their entire life and came into the NFL and found production very, very quickly. But when you do look at Darren Waller, a converted wide receiver, which is more similar to tight end than quarterback, Darren Waller didn't really do much at all his first three NFL seasons, his first four NFL seasons. 2015, he caught two passes. In 2016, he caught 10 passes. He missed 2017. In 2018, he caught six passes, and then finally in 2019, he exploded with 90 receptions. So, I mean, look at Jonu Smith, look at Logan Thomas, those types of players from a production standpoint, that is very similar to where we've seen Dawson Knox. In fact, Dawson Knox has been more productive than Jonu Smith, Darren Waller, or Logan Thomas across their first two seasons in the NFL. The next one today comes from Alex. Alex says, I know you are against the Bills trading for Zach Ertz, but do you think adding Ertz would help the Bills beat the Chiefs? I think any argument about the Bills roster construction should start with that question. So first, let me clarify something. It's not that I'm totally against the idea of trading for Zach Ertz. I recognize that he can help the football team. Him being a steady, fine space create leverage, catch the football type target would matter. However, I don't view it as a super urgent type thing. And I don't think there's anything Zach Ertz is capable of doing that Dawson Knox can't do on the football field, but at a much higher level with a much more dynamic physical profile doing it. And so because of that, I don't really feel this need to pound the table and, really push the buttons when it comes to the idea of going after a Zach Ertz. So that's really what it comes down to, and there's an opportunity cost. You have to give up something to get Zach Ertz, and you have to pay him. And I understand that in any trade scenario, it's likely that the Eagles would absorb a large amount of his contract, but it's still contract that you have to give him that you can't give anyone else. And so when you think about an offense that really hasn't prioritized getting the tight end involved, and you think about a very pedestrian uh, physical profile and skill set that Ertz offers altogether, and it's like, can we just throw the ball to Dawson Knox and Jacob Hollister who are markedly more dynamic options in the passing game? And I think that's what it comes down to me. I like having dynamic athletes and physical skill sets touching the football. And it's not like Ertz comes in and gives you much as a blocker. So I, that's where I have a hard time about this entire idea. Like, all right, what does he do that really changes the dynamics of the Bills offense? And I struggle to find that answer. And because of that, I just don't feel the urgency to really pound the table for this idea. Simultaneously, I see people talking to me about this trade who think it's completely irresponsible of Brandon Bean to think that Dawson Knox should be the tight end this year and that it's a Super Bowl window and they have to do everything they can. And it's irresponsible to go into year three with Dawson Knox as the tight end with this hope that he can develop. I I don't feel that at all. Like I don't feel... I don't feel the weight of what you're saying at all because I think that Dawson Knox is a markedly more dynamic option to touch the football than Zach Ertz. So I do recognize how Ertz can help the football team, and if it happens, I will talk to you more about that, and I kind of have throughout this Zach Ertz journey on the podcast that we've been going through it seems like for six months now. But um, you know, it's not something that makes me say, Okay, Zach Ertz is that piece that for sure puts the Bills over the edge when it comes to competing with the Kansas City Chiefs. I've done two entire podcasts this offseason already talking about what Buffalo has to do to beat Kansas City. And part of that is Josh Allen being willing to take more checkdowns and and more of a distributor style of play against them, but it's very low on the overall list of what the Bills have to do to to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think to, to specifically answer that question, they have to be able to run the football. That's been the tried and true common denominator for every team that's beaten the Chiefs over the last two years with Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback in competitive games. The teams that can run the football and do it well and do it at a high volume, those are the teams that knock off the Chiefs. Every single time it is the common denominator. And so I don't advocate for this run game being an important thing uh, in most cases, but the script against Kansas City has to be different, and you have to be able to run it. And Zach Ertz doesn't help you run the ball better. So I don't emphatically agree that Zach Ertz is a missing link in what the Bills need to be able to knock off Kansas City. The next one today comes from Tyler. Tyler says, first, do you see Josh Allen becoming the next version of Drew Brees to justify drafting quarterbacks higher than maybe they should go to how everyone could respond to a short quarterback with saying he could be the next Drew Brees. Well, I think that that's already happened for Drew Brees, like you mentioned there, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, those are number one overall picks in the NFL. I think we've seen the NFL very quickly move off of height as being this major qualifier to taking a quarterback in the first round. When it comes to Josh Allen and him potentially helping other quarterbacks get drafted high, this is what I'll say about that. The NFL has always been willing to bet on physical traits at quarterback and and pick them high. I mean, Josh Allen was the number seven pick in the NFL draft, and that wasn't a surprise to anybody. It was a surprise to literally nobody. Everyone was fully aware of the skill set that Josh Allen had and what he had to overcome to be a successful NFL starting quarterback but it was still the expectation that this was a top 10 pick. Some people thought he can go as high as number one. So, you know, that that's something that I certainly think about. Um, but as far as physical skill, I mean, I, I might point to Patrick Mahomes as the better answer here, where Patrick Mahomes coming out of Texas Tech um, was this touchdown to check down wild quarterback that... Uh, extended plays, and and just threw the ball all over the yard in a way that traditionally hasn't been done in the NFL. And I think he opened the door for guys like Josh Allen and even a Kyler Murray, or look at uh, Zach Wilson this past year, the number two pick, Trey Lance. You know, I think it's been this series of events. I think Josh Allen is part of it, but I, I don't know that I say that he's definitely the guy that is the poster boy for this discussion. Now, where I do think... Josh Allen can become the poster boy for a discussion is the development side of things. You know, look at what's happening with the Denver Broncos and Drew Locke. They are hoping that Drew Locke can do something like Josh Allen did uh, this past season and his year two to year three progression, right? So I think think that's kind of where it comes in. And maybe teams will be more willing to stick longer with their quarterbacks because uh, they hope a Josh Allen type leap could be made by their guy. Tyler had a part two to his question. He said, secondly, I played high school football with now current Falcons running back, Kadri Oleson, who went to pit fun story was my first day on varsity tackling drills. He ran me all sorts of over. Do you have any fun stories from your days or did you ever play against a great college player or pro? Um, So as far as, High school goes, I scrimmaged against Independence High School, and they had Chris Leak, who was a big-time quarterback at Florida and was drafted by the Chicago Bears, and he had a receiver there, Muhammad Massaquai, who was a good player at Georgia and spent some time in the NFL as well. Uh, So from a high school perspective, you know, those are probably the most notable guys. I certainly played against a bunch of players that went on to play Um, D1, college football, uh, several that went to South Carolina, but nobody that really became an impact player. Uh, in fact, there was this offensive tackle that was this big time recruit and I went up against him. That dude was soft. I couldn't believe he went to South Carolina. Um, but yeah, no, no, no big time guys for me. Um, I, when I was at Wingate for the brief time that I was at Wingate, uh, there was a cornerback there by the name of David Jones. He was a fifth round pick of the saints and, uh, spent time with the Bengals and Jaguars had a six year NFL career, I will say, being around him, you knew he was a different type of athlete. Um, so that's probably the the most up close and personal that I came in terms of putting, you know, being in the facility and working out with, you know, NFL caliber talent. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and the UFC. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
1: They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: The next one today comes from Aaron. Aaron says, Joe, on the last episode of Herd Mentality, he's referring to last week, you chose Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, and Brandon Bean as your hypothetical group of people to ask three questions each. I'm curious what three questions you would ask each of them. All right, so here's what I have for you, and I don't have exactly three questions for everybody, but I do for Josh Allen, and then I have like kind of what the basis of my conversation, what I would want to talk about with each of them. For Sean McDermott, I would want to ask him questions about how he stays disciplined and how he manages his time. I think that would be fascinating to me. Um, As somebody who... When I came out of working like a, a traditional job into doing football full time and kind of having a blank slate every day, you know certain certainly had responsibilities that I needed to address on a, on a regular basis. But I, I think learning how to structure my day and manage my time um, the most effectively that I can to be the most productive that I can and obviously have time for everything that I want to have time for. I would want to learn from Sean McDermott some of his strategies. Now, I've read some really good books, one by Craig Ballantyne uh, called The Perfect Day, and that has really transformed my approach to every single day and my productivity since reading that and applying those principles has really drastically changed my life, and and it's been amazing. But for somebody like Sean McDermott, who you know is very rigid with his time and it seems like he's a good husband and dad – and obviously he has a, a very critical job, one that requires a lot of time. And being a head coach in the NFL, I would want to learn about his process in terms of structuring his day and how he stays disciplined and how he manages his time and what what rules he has to make sure that he checks all the boxes that he wants to in every single day. For Brandon Bean, obviously I would want to talk draft draft scouting, roster construction type stuff. That would be be a very straightforward, all right, this is what I want to talk about. And then for Josh Allen, he was the guy that I had uh, three questions written down specifically. For Josh, I would ask him how he finds balance in his life. You know, really fascinating to be um, who he is, right? Uh, NFL starting quarterback, very quickly becoming uh, a face of a franchise, elite type player in the NFL how does he attack his day like what type of burdens does he feel carrying the weight of that and and what does he do in terms of his life to achieve his goals like where does he find behavioral congruency he he's somebody who wants to be this amazing nfl football player you know he loves it and he cares about it and he has a lot of relationships um within the team obviously he he's got his girlfriend and his puppy and uh, he's tight with his family. So I would like to know how he balances his life and, um, how football fits into that. Right. You know, I think that's really fascinating to me. Uh, number two, I wouldn't want to ask him where he sees himself in five years. Like what does he want his life to look like in five years and like what he's going to do specifically to get to that point. And I think that would be really interesting to kind of peel back the curtain and find out. All right, well, what's important to you? Like what are what are your what are your goals and what's your plan? Because I think that would just give us a real glimpse into what matters to him and how he plans on getting that done. And that's that's not just as a player, but like, you know, as a man. That would be interesting to me. And then the last thing I would ask him to do is draw me his favorite passing concept and walk me through it and tell me why he likes it. The next one today comes from David. And David is my baby brother, and he is a missionary. And actually, he spent the last six years in Greece um, doing missions work there, and uh, he's coming back to the United States for a little bit and then heading to his next destination. And as part of his time in the United States, he comes he comes back on Thursday of this week. I cannot wait for it. Um, he's going to be here for a bit, and we're going to enjoy a lot of time with, with him and his wife, Ruth, and their baby boy, Micah, who was born... Uh, two months ago and I haven't met him yet. So I cannot wait to uh, see my brother, see my sister-in-law and meet my nephew. Um, But as part of David being here in the United States, he's going to that Houston game as well. So in week four, when my wife are at Highmark stadium for bills, Texans, my baby brother, David, he's going to be there as well. And um, he's one of my favorite people on the planet. And, um, you know i'm I'm excited to get to do this with him. you know, is he's a missionary. he's he hasn't been back to the United States in two years. The last time he was in uh, in the United States was when I got married two years ago. Um and we enjoyed a lot of good times together, but obviously he went back and covid and quarantine and all that hit. And so he hasn't been able to get back nearly as soon as I'm sure he would have hoped or you know we haven't seen each other in a longer period of time than either one of us would have hoped. And I can't wait to catch up with him. And I can't wait to make that trip up to Buffalo uh, with him. And so a uh, shout-out to my baby brother, David. Looking forward to seeing you on Thursday, dude. Uh, he has a question, like a legit question from the podcast. He said, what do you give up this year in order to sort out cornerback two? Here's the thing about this CB2 discussion, and we we talked about it yesterday a bit, and certainly the Levi Wallace podcast that I did shed some more light on it, and then you think about the way Bean and McDermott and Frazier have talked about Dane Jackson this offseason, I think they're quite satisfied with what they have. I think they're quite satisfied with Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson as the options opposite of Tredavious White. So that's where I get hung up on this, and that's where I have to buy in because I don't think they're going to do anything drastic. I don't think they're going to trade for anyone. I don't think they're going to sign Richard Sherman. I don't think they're going to sign Steven Nelson. I don't think any of that's coming. I would sign Steven Nelson. If you're asking me what I would do, I would just sign Steven Nelson and be done with it. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. And so I am now wiring myself to buy into Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson as these options opposite of Tredavious White and hope that uh, Bean and McDermott are right about it. The next one today comes from Justin. Justin says, I was driving home from work listening to the day one OTA pod and hearing that Josh Allen is going to try and do an Australian accent made me cringe as an Australian American. Americans cannot do Australian accents. They actually just think we talk like the English. So there you go. He said, Joe, how did the gig at the Lockdown Network happen for you? Did David Locke discover you at the Draft Network? So good question. Um, my opportunity with the Locked On Podcast Network goes back to 2016, if I'm not mistaken. And in 2016, we were approached about doing Locked On NFL Draft, and so we did. We we went and did the you know we went and interviewed with David and got the podcast. It went really really well. It developed into Draft Dudes. Uh, which is still an active podcast that Kyle Krabs and I do every single day on college football, the NFL, and the NFL draft. And, you know, I had been part of the network for a long time. And when Locked On Bills became available, I was interested. David was too. And so it happened. And I'm glad I did it because this podcast, I'll be honest with you, it's changed my life. It has absolutely changed my life. And um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And I'm extremely grateful for each and every one of you that listens to this podcast because it has been amazing. And it's been very fulfilling. I've enjoyed it so much. I couldn't imagine not doing it. I could not imagine talking Buffalo Bills into a microphone every day for 25 to 40 minutes. I could not imagine that not being part of my routine. I absolutely love it. And um, it's been amazing. Uh, The last one from Justin is... With Tremaine Edmonds and Josh Allen making around 11 mil combined this season and that going up to around 35 mil, who do you keep and who do you let walk? Well, nobody's leaving. Those fifth-year options are guaranteed. They're going to be back for next season. So I don't think that this is a conversation that we need to have. They're both back. They both should be back, and hopefully both earn long-term contract extensions with the team. Eric says, I'm hoping you can explain what you mean by reaching a player's ceiling. To be honest, it seems like such a negative term to me. A person bumps his head against the ceiling. Women talk about the glass ceiling at work keeping them from deserved promotions. In the context of an athlete, I had previously heard it in statements like, this player is what he is and he ain't going to get any better. He's hit his ceiling. On the other hand, for you and many other football minds I enjoy listening to, it sounds like finding the holy grail of player development. For example, I think you've said, wouldn't it be great if Ed Oliver reached his ceiling in 2021? If you say that a player who has seemingly hit his stride, for example, Stefan Diggs has reached his ceiling, aren't you saying he really can't get any better? Did Tom Brady ever hit his ceiling? I doubt he would brag that he's hit his ceiling. Wouldn't something more like reaching his potential sound more positive On the other hand, I really like the term floor when used to refer to the least we can expect from a player, and ceiling in the context just means the opposite end of accomplishment. I assume that's how we arrived at using the word ceiling in this manner, but it just seems so limiting. Interested to hear your thoughts on it. Maybe it's just useful shorthand for scouting purposes, which I can accept. Thanks, as always, for your thoughtful insights and analysis. Eric, I've never thought about it like you put it there. <laughs> I never I never had. It's just always been an accepted term that uh, I use to talk about um, room for a player to grow. And here's the thing about ceiling. Ceiling is not always a good thing. If you've reached your ceiling, that pretty much just means you are what you are. Like you're not going to be any better. You're not going to get any higher. And so for some players like Stefan Diggs or Tredavious White or Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer, they've reached their ceiling. And that's a good thing, right? Their ceiling, where they are, excellent. It's kind of that point where, all right, they're not going to get any better, but that is perfectly fine with me. Then you have players that reach their ceiling and you're like, darn, like (laughs) this isn't good enough. This isn't a good enough football player. They're too limited. We wanted them to be better, but this is as good as they're going to be. So, yeah, there is a contrasting perspective to this. You can reach your ceiling and it'd be a good thing. You can reach your ceiling and it'd be a bad thing, right? So that that is uh, something to keep in mind in the overall um, conversation when we talk ceilings. It could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. But if a player hasn't reached their ceiling, if you don't believe a player's reached their ceiling, like I believe regarding Dawson Knox and Ed Oliver and Cody Ford and Tremaine Edmonds and those types of players, then it's a good thing. But if those players are exactly who they've been and they've reached their ceiling, then some disappointment can creep in. RockAuto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need at a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. Need to tell you guys about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the planet. So many amazing flavors. They're all delicious. I just ordered a fresh box of cookies and cream to go with another box of coconut almond. They are awesome. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. It's like eating a candy bar, but they are good. For you, Built Bar is great for anyone who is health conscious. Whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in a delicious treat, you have to try Built Bars. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and perfect for anyone who is on the keto diet. I have a deal for you. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked fifteen, and it'll get you fifteen percent off your next order. Again, that's promo code Locked fifteen for fifteen percent off at builtbar.com. The next one today comes from Phelan, who says. Our third and fifth rounders were both offensive tackles, and you and others have remarked how we now have an incredible amount of quality depth there while having much less at guard. Could you explain what the difference is? A couple years ago, lots of people thought Cody Ford might be better at guard, and now he's there. It almost seems like guard is just less talented and or less athletic than a tackle. Could a good tackle like Spencer Brown step in if a guard went down, or is the position in training just too different? I'll say this. Um, We talked a bit about this yesterday. And I don't think that Spencer Brown or Tommy Doyle offer position flexibility to play inside at guard. A lot of times when we talk about tackles that are better suited to play guard, it comes down to length and foot speed. And if you don't have enough length or you don't have quick enough feet to play on an island and protect the width of the pocket, then you're better suited to play on the inside. Now, the challenge with playing on the inside is that the action happens quicker, you need to have a stout anchor, you need to be able to uh, have a low center of gravity to absorb power, and being tall and long doesn't help you. In fact, there are points where you can be too tall and too long, and it's now a net negative to you as a physical trait. So I think that applies both to Doyle and to Spencer Brown, where neither of them Project favorably at all to playing guard. And so that somewhat complicates those two draft picks because, barring an injury, there's really no path to get them on the field. Now, maybe they just develop, you know, one of them develops, Spencer Brown develops, and he becomes a low cost option, and the team can move on from a Darrell Williams, and you feel like you have a sufficient, if not an upgrade, to the player. But yeah, I don't see it. I don't see either of those guys being options to kick inside to guard. Falan uh, also had a comment. He said, I agree people have probably spent too much time talking about how we're going to beat the Chiefs. Realistically, without one weird play, we might have faced the Browns in the AFC Championship game, and we narrowly beat the Colts and Ravens. So I think we just need to stay focused on getting better in general since there are a lot of good teams out there. I do understand the desire to solve the Chiefs, though. Watching that playoff game, it just seemed like they had an answer to everything we did. Our great wide receivers seem blanketed by their corners, and Hill and Kelsey seem to be open the whole game. Here's to hoping we find a way this time. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. Um, I understand why we are so focused on the Chiefs, but at the end of the day, this Bills team needs to figure out the best way that it plays football, right? What skill sets do you have, and how could you become the most difficult, team to play against offensively and defensively. So right now I don't think they're thinking about the Chiefs or the Patriots or the Ravens or the Colts or any of those teams. I think they're figuring out how can we be the best football team that we can and then once you start having games and you have matchups, you go from there and you figure out the right game plan to deploy what you have against that specific opponent but for the most part right now the focus should just be on how do we become the best version of the Buffalo Bills. McBill's face says, I saw the attached post about Jim Kelly splitting for the gamblers, and it got me daydreaming about what might have been had he signed with the Bills. I'm of the mind that the quarterback we came to know and love starting in 1986 had two important years of formation in Houston where he honed his gunslinger ways. Who really knows how he would have developed under Kay Stevenson? Throw in the fact that he had any kind of success in those first two years, the Bills would have not got the number one pick in 1985, so they wouldn't have had Bruce Smith. Could we go so far as to say that the Super Bowl Bills window might not even have opened without Jim Kelly spurning Buffalo? Yeah, I think that's fair, right? I think there's good points there. Jim Kelly might have needed that time in Houston. Being on the Bills at that point in time might not have helped them. If things clicked right away, you don't have the number one pick, you don't get Bruce Smith. It's funny how you can point to things that have happened throughout the course of football history and if one slightly different thing happens you got to rewrite the books. I mean, you got to rewrite the books so many different things. Timing and in opportunity and all of that. Luck, there's so much that goes into it. I think you have a very well thought out point that I think there's a lot of There's a lot to buy into with it. The next one today comes from Martin, who says, Joe, you're in a matrix-like scenario where you're presented two choices for the Buffalo Bills defense. The red pill, nothing changes. What happened with the Bills defense from 2017 to today stays exactly the same. The blue pill, you hire Jim Schwartz and each draft is adjusted to the scheme of Jim Schwartz. Which pill do you take and why? It's a good question. I'm taking the red pill. Nothing changes. Now that we have the benefit of hindsight and we know that going from Jim Schwartz to Rex Ryan gets us Sean McDermott and what this team is today, I'm taking that. Just like we talked about with Bill Z McBill's face and what he laid out about Jim Kelly and how if he doesn't spur the Bills, you know, maybe none of that ever happens. I don't want to risk the idea that that team and the the construction of that team could have sustained itself a little bit longer and therefore missing out on what the team is now because maybe you don't get Sean McDermott, maybe you don't get Josh Allen, you know, the roster doesn't look the same. That means you probably don't have Brandon Bean. No, I'm not I'm not jeopardizing any of that. So yeah, now with the benefit of hindsight and in, in being in the present day, right? It's easy to go back and say, "Oh yeah, it was worth it." The whole thing was worth it because Look what we have now. And so I am absolutely clinging to that and uh, picking the red pill. Nothing changes because I like where we're at now. Now, maybe at the time, if you would have asked me this, you know, would you have hired Jim Schwartz to be the head coach? And that means no Rex Ryan at the time. I probably would have said yes, but I have the benefit of hindsight and therefore I'm taking the red pill and understanding that everything we've been through already that is now in the past. Got us to where we are today, and I like it. All right, folks, that'll do it for us today here on the podcast. Two more shows for you this week. Some unique content is coming. Really excited about the Friday podcast. We're actually going to do our Tackling the Tough Questions series. I've done this for the past couple of years, and uh, we're going to do it again this year. I'm not going to do it every single day, so we're going to have you know rotating Concepts, And so that way we're not kind of stuck in the same thing for a long stretch. It's going to be fresh and new all the time. But on Friday, we are going to start our tackling the tough questions series. And we're gonna go position by position, starting with quarterback. So whatever tough questions you have, whatever the biggest questions you have on your mind regarding the Buffalo Bills quarterbacks, whether that's Josh Allen's contract whether that's rostering Jake Fromm or what does Jake Fromm bring to the table and, and you know something about Mitchell Trubisky, Davis Webb, whatever you have, send it to me because I want to tackle the toughest questions that you have on the Friday podcast, and then we'll get to future positions. So if you have something like that for a different position, go ahead and send it in. Joe at the draftnetwork.com uh, is the email address to get those in, and we'll have a lot of fun over the coming weeks, working through each position and really digging into what the most pressing issues are. And I think by doing that, we will have painted a very realistic picture of what this team is, what they have, what it's capable of, and be able to be realistic with our expectations and really understand the full scope of this 2021 Buffalo Bills team. So like I said, it'll probably be like a a twice-a-week thing We'll have Herd Mentality, two of those, and then two other uh, concepts to give us our five shows for the week, and I have a lot of fun stuff planned. So make sure you don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. Rate, review, and share the podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.